Support for Radioactive's Punk Rock Farmer comes from Go Biochar. The following program was pre-recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders, weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones. I'm Aldine Strychnine, and I'm here to do the Urban Farm Report, and I'm here every Friday. And thanks to everyone... Thanks to all who called in uh, for Radiothon a couple of weeks ago. We'll say that, too. And if you missed it, Aldine is featured on an edition of This Is Utah with PBS Utah. I finally got a chance to watch it, Al. It's pretty sweet. It, it came out really good, and it was really fun to make with old friend Sally Shom, who's the director of those things. Bass player, right? Yes. My sister, Jane. <laughs> okay. Small Lake City, Al. Uh, it's really cool to kind of do these things after, you know, running into each other for the last 30-odd years. So, um, And also, you can see Al's garden in full flower because you shot it over the last year, and now you're just getting things planted. What's popping in your yard? No, there's there's a lot of things planted. Things have been planted since the for a couple of months. There's cabbage. There's uh, broccoli. There's all the brassicas, a family cauliflower and, and Brussels sprouts, those things. But... Uh, lettuce and bok choy and garlic is really big and just i've been planting i planted potatoes they're coming up i planted shallots they're coming up already i planted them like a few weeks ago before (laughs) the rain and everything is coming up so the agrihood where agriculture meets your neighborhoods happen in al's backyard and how are the girls my girls i mean the hens they lay in oh boy they're kicking it now and there i get a couple dozen eggs a week so if you never need a half a dozen <laughs> let me know just start bringing me half a dozen. <laughs> okay <laughs> okay coming up on the show your friend and mine with some great gardening tips we wrote a column for slug magazine it, we sure did mary beth janerick and she's been with us for years now i mean since we started doing this i believe uh wasatch We've partnered with Wasatch Community Gardens because of all the great stuff they do in the community. And we interviewed her for the article that we wrote in Slug Mag. It's slugmag.com. It's an online posting, actually. And she had all this great advice we couldn't fit in there. So we're like, we're bringing it into the show because people are really getting antsy to put their tomatoes in the ground. But hold off. Just, just, just chill. Just chill. I just started mine a a week or two ago. Indoors. Indoors. And people are saying, oh, can I plant outside already? And I'm like, "Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's really warm today, but I understand it's going to drop another 20 degrees shortly. Utah, it happens all the time. Yeah, it's Utah spring. Today's Arbor Day. Right. We're going to check in with Amy May, who is actually planting trees across the Wasatch Front today. Makes sense. And we'll get details about KRCL's tree planting all the folks who uh, supported KRCL by planting trees with us and Tree Utah. We're going to be getting together on May 8th, socially distanced and all that, to plant some trees. And lots of good stuff on the show today. Water tips. And, uh, you know, uh, Stephanie Dewar is from Salt Lake SLC. Salt Lake City Department of Public Utilities. She is the water conservation manager. And I think she's got um, uh, those tips on how to, you know, when should you start watering? Because it's not yet, folks. There's a lot of things to do with watering. I have questions. <laughs> and we're also going to get to the City Nature Challenge, which is starting up again with our, citizen sci- with our citizen science friends at the Natural History Museum of Utah. Ellen Erickson will join us. But first, we are going to start where we always start. We start with music. Every week we have live, well, we used to have, have live. live music. Hopefully it's, soon. It's been about a year, but hopefully we'll have live music soon. But Bly Wallentine is with us, and he's got a studio and a lot of different projects and there's one that has to do with gardening it's called gardener and botanic is the name of it and we'll be starting off with some of that but he's got so much more going on we'll talk to him well let's get him on hey Bly, how you doing hey doing good how y'all doing well we can see you in your studio check the show notes we'll get a nice show post because there's some kitty cats in there too about seven or eight <laughs> yeah, a lot of kitty cats. So we uh, have been starting to partner with HUM, Hear Utah Music, the digital yeah. local digital music catalog with Salt Lake City Public Library, and came across Gardner Botanica, one of your projects, and we really wanted to share it. So we're going to collage a couple of cuts together. Tell us about this project. Yeah, so this is a project I, I worked on a couple of years ago with my friend uh, Ben Swisher, who's involved with HUM, and also my friend Cecil Smith, who has a project called EK Opal up in Salt Lake. Um, and yeah, we we just got together in a couple days and just made this whole record. Um, the idea was just make, you know, create something 
get into a flow state and create it as quickly as possible just in that two day duration. And uh, it ended up being like this cool, like eight minute long seamless record. Um, you know, I think it, it sounds like flowers blooming up. I think it's quite beautiful. This is the yeah. Gardener Project with a couple of cuts from Botanica, Bly Wallentine. Fresh and homegrown on KRCL 90.9 <laughs> FM. We can all help reduce Utah's drought, fix leaks around the house, run full loads in the washer and dishwasher, take shorter showers and hold off on watering landscapes. Reservoirs are low and wildfire risk is high, so let's all do what we can to save water. More information at drought.utah.gov. Culture's One Sky, Skywatcher Leo T here as dawn begins Jupiter and Saturn are low in the southeast in the dim constellation Capricornus. And later in the day in the glow of a beautiful sunset, Venus and Mercury are beginning their twilight emergence just above the west-northwest horizon. Grab the binos about 15 minutes after sunset and zoom in. And as the moon changes phases, Luna is still gliding through the skies. And on April 27th was at Peregrine, which is the moon's closest approach to the Earth in its orbit. The conjunction of Peregrine and full moon led to the beauty of the supermoon. Stay tuned for the only other supermoon of the year coming May 26th. Many cultures, one sky. Humans have always been fascinated by the moon and have used it for planting, navigation, astronomy, mystery, and a nightlight in the sky. Each spring, indigenous cultures move the camp circle to higher ground, women gathering early berries and roots and repairing their lodges, men fixed and created weapons and resumed hunting, children enjoyed the warm weather after being confined for winter, and full moons are named for changes of season and weather. In northeast Maine, the Kikis culture, the May full moon is known as the field maker moon. For the Algonquin in the Great Lakes region, moon is Quanamacquesos, the moon when people weed corn. For the Chippewa, it's the Blossom Moon. For the Cree of the Northern Plains in Canada, Frog Moon. And the Arapaho, the full moon in May is when the ponies shed their shaggy hair. Cultures from all over the world enjoy and interpret the night sky. It's a common heritage. Also during the first space age and exploration of the moon by the Apollo program, the Apollo 15 mission was on the moon from July 30th to August 2nd, 1971, 
While Al Worden kept an eye from orbit in the command module, Dave Scott and James Irwin got to roll around on the first lunar dune buggy, or rover. Going for a few rides from the landing spot precariously tilted on the edge of a crater near the Hadley Rill to the Hadley Mountains. In his book To Rule the Night, James Irwin, who attended Salt Lake's East High, conveys how amazed they were by the soaring heights of the mountains of the moon. Also impressed with the geologic strata at the Spur Crater, Irwin relates different shades of brown, light green, and a top layer of white. Hmm, green on the moon. Also from orbit, Earth's moon shows shades of gold and copper to battleship gray and white. It depends on where you're looking from and the angle of the sun. You can see some contrasts from your own backyard or the mountains or the canyons or the sand flats. Stay tuned for more on Apollo 15. You can also see a moon rock from the mission at the Gateway Planetarium. And taking the Skywatcher spaceship out a little further to Mars, NASA and JPL's Perseverance rover watched as the tiny Ingenuity helicopter took off for a third flight and did a little bit of exploring on its own. And the Perseverance rover racked up a huge milestone by converting carbon dioxide into oxygen. This could point the way to future human exploration of Mars and other places. And could that be useful on Earth as well? Explore images from Mars, the Moon, and other fun things on the Skywatcher Leo T Facebook page. Also bidding a smooth flight to one of the pioneers of Gemini and Apollo programs, and we celebrate the life of Michael Collins, who died on April 28th. Collins was involved in the groundbreaking Gemini program and had the best view of the angle of light on the moon as the command module pilot for Apollo 11, the first moon landing. He loved space flight and orbiting the moon with good humor and wonder, and he inspires us to look up, look around, and get a little lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T on KRCL. Thank you, Skywatcher Leo T. Man, there's so much happening, popping out of the earth, up in the sky. And I'm mindful of last week's guest, Dr. Ben Page, the wellness farmer who said, get out and let your feet touch the earth in your garden. Get that electrical charge going in (laughs) you. So stick around for Al's Urban Farm Report and an interview with Mary Beth Janerick of Wasatch Community Gardens. She's going to have all these tips on how to plant your tomatoes, when to plant your tomatoes. And it's about uh, a consistent 10-day temperature above ground. So the below ground, we're doing okay by our plants. And she reminded us, too, that last year... She waited. She planted in June, and then it still snowed. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can remember a snow in, on May 30th, and we get cold weather. We, we have the weirdest weather. Utah yeah. is really, really mm-hmm. not consistent. At all, no. except when and then you hit the high temperatures, right, in the middle of summer. That's another story. Let's talk about water, shall we? Because uh, we are in a 20-year drought cycle, and there are— politicians calling for conservation measures by us, the folks out here with too much lawn. And joining us to talk about water challenges, we have from uh, Salt Lake City, Department of Public Utilities, Water Conservation Manager, Stephanie Dewar. Hi, Stephanie. Hello, Laura and Al. Thanks for joining us and giving us some time. Uh, Should I be turning on my sprinklers? Well, so it's not just a yes or no answer. Um, I would, for lawns, no. But for if you have newly planted trees and shrubs, for instance, or if you have fruit trees, you may need to water depending on the soil moisture. And this is because as plants start budding out or setting fruit, they're going to need some water and pine trees and spruce trees will be getting ready to candle. And as they're evergreen, their roots are always actively growing until the soil gets really cold. So watering them when it's dry like this isn't a bad idea. Um, And there's a really easy trick to tell if your soil is dry. What is that? You get a long screwdriver and you've got, you probably can't see me because I'm holding up my hands about eight inches apart now. <laughs> Thank you for, for <laughs> narrating that. <laughs> well, you take that long screwdriver and you plunge it into the soil. Um, basically, if it goes in all the way really easy, then your soil is moist. But where it stops is about where your moisture line is. So once it's hard to push in, that's where it starts getting dry. And with your trees and shrubs, if it's dry two inches down, then it's a good time to water them. With your lawn, you can wait longer. And right now, lawns are just sort of greening up right now because we've had some cool nights. Um, We have some really nifty, new, high-tech, fancy uh, weather stations now. And if you look at those weather stations, our ET isn't, isn't really high right now, which is evapotranspiration, which is the amount of water a plant needs. And so your lawns are gonna be fine. But, but be mindful of your trees and shrubs, um, especially newly planted stuff and anything that's producing fruit. So these weather stations, are they something online that we can check oh, and, yeah. and see? 
Oh, yeah. So we worked with the Utah Climate Center, Utah uh, State University, um, through an EWIG grant, which stands for um, Efficient Water Initiative Grant that was funded through a state project. And we installed five state-of-the-art research-level weather stations. And I've pulled up the website. So the email, the, the URL is climate.usu.edu forward slash MCHD. And I can send you the link to that. And you can look at one of these weather stations. And we have one in um, Rose Park at the golf course, Glendale at the golf course, Forestdale Golf Course, Bonneville Golf Course, and one out by 6200 South and about Highland Drive. Excellent. So we will put links in the show notes. You mentioned a term, candling. The trees are getting ready to candle. Can you just explain that? Sure. So when um, a lot of evergreens bloom, and it could be, um, or not bloom, but grow, uh, pine trees, spruce trees, firs, even yews, they do something called a candle. And that's where they send up. And again, I'm doing hand gestures, which you can't see. But imagine a little finger of growth that comes up. And there's lots of little needles tight, tight, tight to that finger. And it looks almost on a spruce tree or pine tree, it looks like a bright green candle. I and know then, what you're talking yes. about. I just and call them mini little, pine cones, but they're candles. Okay. They're candles. And those candles represent that entire year's growth for that plant. Wow. Which is pretty darn exciting. So, but that growth takes a lot of energy and it does take water. So we want to start watering our trees and shrubs, especially evergreens, before they start candling. Because if you've noticed, like over the last couple of years, Al and I were chatting about this before we came on. Um, If your pine trees have a bit of browning at their needle edges or your spruce trees, it's because they're dry. And it's because they're not getting water when they really need it, which is in the fall and in that early springtime, not as much in the summertime because that's not their active growth season. It's really that late fall time and that early spring. So if you can give them a drink right now, that would be awesome. Although we did have rain last week. So grab that screwdriver and check how much, you know, how deep your water is and see if you need to water. Before we let you go, you've got something called the seven gallon challenge. We do. So water conservation is not just an outdoor sport, people. Um, (laughs) Really. So there's a lot we could do indoors. As a matter of fact, we just completed the water conservation master plan. And we know that as an average, our households, and this includes apartments, single family, duplex, triplex, doesn't matter where you live within our service area. They use about 147,000, or excuse me, 147 gallons a day within the household. Wow. So that's everybody in the household for all the functions. So that's cooking, bathing, cleaning, laundering, all that stuff. That's a lot. Not horrible. That's a lot, not though. Not evil. <laughs> Sounds like a lot. It's not per person. It's per household. Okay. Now, wait. That's just inside the house. We're not even talking about outside yet. That's inside the house. And we need that down to 121. Okay. Uh, Next, by 2025. So every three years, we need to do the seven gallon challenge, which is reducing indoor use by seven gallons a day. That's all. Everybody in the house, just seven gallons less. Turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth. I don't care what the cute commercial tells you. Don't run your dishwasher until it's full. Um, Do loads of laundry that are full. Um, They're easy, easy ways to save. We have stuff on our website, slc.gov forward slash utilities forward slash conservation. Seven gallon challenge, people. You can do it. And and we were talking, I, I, I mean, I always wondered how much to water. And I know there's a little thing where you put a glass out and you fill it up. Let's talk about uh, cycle soak because you, you, you informed me and I'd love everybody else to know. <laughs> well, Al, thank you. So the very first tip about outdoor watering, if you have a lawn and a sprinkler system, is get yourself a water check for crying out loud. It's free. It's through Utah State University in partnership with Metropolitan Water District of Salt Lake and Sandy and Salt Lake City and Sandy City. And water checks are a great way to save water. As a matter of fact, since the beginning of that program, which is now two decades old, we've saved over 175 million gallons of water. And that's over almost $250,000 in people's water bills. So people have saved a lot of money getting a water check. Cycle soak is... um, Most of us have clay soils. Unless you live in like Sandy, there's a reason it's called Sandy. Um, (laughs) And clay soil absorbs water pretty quick and holds on to it. 
So if you run your system much longer than eight minutes at a time, you're going to get runoff. So there's a concept called cycle soak, and that's where you let your sprinkler system turn on for a little bit and run and then turn off for a while so that water can soak in and then it turns on. So let's say you have three zones that are dedicated to your irrigation lawn, to the watering your lawn. Say it comes on at 2 a.m., you run zone one for eight minutes, it turns off, zone two comes on, runs for eight minutes, turns off zone three and so on. And then it sits there quietly for an hour and then it comes on again at three o'clock and it might come on again at four o'clock. And that way water has time to penetrate um, and soak in. Now this isn't for drip systems. If you have drip systems, you need to be mindful to run them long enough to provide adequate water to your trees and shrubs that are getting drip. But for lawn sprinklers, you run them in a cycle soak pattern to save water and get a water check. What's the website one more time where all these resources are collected for everybody? Um, slc.gov forward slash utilities forward slash conservation. Thank you, Stephanie Doerr. We appreciate it. And I'll be in touch. We're going to do some three quick picks with you throughout the summer, okay? Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Arbor Day, and we have a station cohort of ours from the past, Amy May, with us. She's moved on, and she's with Tree Utah now. I'm, Of course you guys are planting trees. Where are you at? We are at West Point Park in the far northwest corner of Salt Lake City. It's great to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Did you like all that conversation about trees and watering them and the candling of the pines? Yes, that's fantastic. It's really great. And this year, especially conserving water is more important than ever before. Last year, we had an inland hurricane that took out a lot of trees. At the same time, Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall was committing to planting a thousand trees. I feel like it was kind of a wash to a certain extent, but um, you can give us the the broader picture about where we stand in adding more trees here along the Wasatch Front, Amy. Yeah, actually, the thousand trees on the west side is just one aspect, and the Retree SLC effort is separate from that, replanting trees that are um, making a difference to reforest after the hurricane strength storm of September. We are um, really grateful to be a partner with Salt Lake City on this initiative, Um, though we work statewide. Salt Lake City is home for Tree Utah, and we're really grateful to be planting more and more trees every year because of this partnership. Um, And the city's done a couple of other things in terms of trees as well. They've committed to planting two trees for every tree that's taken out. So um, for all of those trees from the disaster, basically two new trees are going in, and the thousand trees on the west side is separate from that as well. So it's it's a great initiative and there's a lot happening. The trees are small now, but it's amazing even in just a couple of years how fast they fill out and grow in, cool off our, our urban heat islands that form here and really make a difference for our air and, and just beauty and enjoyment of our city. Al, I believe that KRCL <laughs> listeners are going to help us plant more than 100 trees because of Spring Radiothon and the thank you gift that yeah. some folks chose. Um, I really love that one when folks do the trees. It's a great one. You can dedicate it to someone and mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of good things about planting trees for sure. So Saturday, May 8th is when we're going to be planting those trees, Amy May. That's right. On the Jordan River from nine till noon, right next to the day Riverside Library. Um, that is Tree Utah's eco garden space, which is a permaculture orchard that we have. And it's gotten more attention this year than it has in the last 10 um, before us. We're really grateful to be able to really take care of that space in a bigger and broader way this year. And um, we'll be, yeah, just really, it should be a great time that day. We'll also be doing a small tree giveaway with um, thanks to Dominion Energy and the Arbor Day Foundation. They're giving out um, small blue spruce seedlings to people as well who show up for that event. So we're just really grateful for the partnership with KRCL and to continue to be able to plant these hundreds and thousands of trees each spring and fall um, with donors that that contribute to help the KRCL community and help the community at large. Well, where can folks get all the details as well as sign up? Because there are some COVID protocols in place and then folks need to learn about that and pick a a time slot and all that. What's the website? Um, It's treeutah.org. And currently that is not on our uh, list of events yet. Part of our COVID stuff this year is opening events up um, a little closer. Like, so save the date, know that Saturday, May 8th from nine until noon, we'll be there doing that. But um, we want people who sign up to really show up so that we can control the numbers of folks that come out and things like that. So um, 
and we want to make sure that everyone from the KRCL pool gets signed up first and it's first in line to be a part of that event. So it'll go on the website probably a week prior, but if anyone wants to save the date, it'll be great. And we are so grateful to be able to get together outdoors with masks on and um, make this stuff happen. So we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes as well as let everybody know when the sign up is for the KRCL tree planting on Saturday, May 8th and when you can sign up for it. So Amy may get back to planting trees. It's Arbor Day. Awesome. Will do. Thanks so much. We've got 22 trees going in and 100 getting um, given away to residents here in the West Point community today. So thanks, Amy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. See you later. Okay, wrapping up our rallies and resources, we have joining us now from the Natural History Museum of Utah, Citizen Science Coordinator, Ellen Erickson. Hi, Ellen. Welcome back. It's time for the City Nature Challenge again. Hello, hello. Yes, it's that time of year, one of my favorite times of year, actually, our chance to get outside and look for nature hanging out in our city. <laughs> Al, you've used this app actually after Ellen came on and told us about it once. What's grown in your neighborhood or didn't we do a thing with uh, just a while back where yeah. we had her? Or- yeah, absolutely. Because this challenge comes around every year. And what's the app? It's iNaturalist, I think I recall. That's right. That's right. The City Nature Challenge is a global event that asks people to get outside wherever they happen to be living and photograph the wild living things that they find in their yards. Insects, birds, plants that are popping up, all kinds of wild things are around our cities. And you can record that nature by taking a photo and adding it to a platform called iNaturalist, which is an amazing, accessible online platform that you can have right on your smartphone. And it captures photos and it's a great way to record local nature. So the City Nature Challenge starts today and it goes through May 3rd. Um, And like you said, use your camera phone, your smartphone, go out for a family nature walk, go out by yourself. First of all, it's going to be very relaxing, (laughs) a stress reliever. And, you know, it's kind of cool to work with your camera and this app and add to the knowledge base that is iNaturalist. That's exactly right. And as a natural history museum, we certainly are incredibly interested in the things that people are finding, especially in an urban setting. I think a lot of people don't think of a city as a place that you find a lot of nature, but in fact, there's so much thriving in our cities, things that have lived here before we were ever here that have adapted to our urban life and other things that have come in and made the most of the urban environment that we've created. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff to find. Plus, iNaturalist can help you figure out what stuff is, right? That's exactly right. It's got a AI feature. And so when you take your photo and you put it on the app, you don't have to know what it is. iNaturalist will help you try to identify it, which is amazing. I personally have learned about many different species, even in my own backyard, because of the iNaturalist app. And there's also this community of iNaturalist users casual people like me, but of course, also professional scientists and researchers as well who are interested in specific species who see the posts that you make in iNaturalist and then help you identify what it is. So it's this cool conversation, not only with, I guess, with nature, but with other people who like nature too. So Al, while you're out in your garden, barefoot, right? right. Touching the earth, got your camera phone in your hip pocket and you come across something, because this is the time of year when you come across stuff, you're like, what in the heck is that? And then you can use this thing to upload it. Stuff pops up all the time that I'm not sure what it is. And I think it's great to to be able to have that resource. It's really cool. Anything really weird or cool or odd that you've uh, come across as a result of this City Nature Challenge, Ellen? You know, I've, I've certainly learned about things that I was seeing all the time that I just didn't know the name of. And so that's been an amazing thing for me to just identify something in my garden as a millipede as a woodlouse, as, you know, some kind of an ant that I didn't recognize before. And so that's, that's been a fun thing for me personally. There are wonderful examples globally of people making observations on iNaturalist of species that had literally never been photographed before until someone saw it, took a picture, had no idea what they were seeing, but somebody who was aware (laughs) was super excited to see that photo because it was, like I said, the first time it had ever been photographed. And so you never know what you're gonna find. In years past of the City Nature Challenge here in Utah, people have made records of species of spiders and other other insects in the state that have were first records in the state that had never been photographed here before. And so even this year, there's there's the, the potential to find new exciting stuff um, but that said, there's common things that we see outside all the time, too, that really, as a as a casual user, 
you can enrich your life and your, your, your urban nature knowledge by learning a little bit more about the things that are just hanging out right in your garden or right outside your back door. And find out the stuff that you need in your garden, right? The good stuff, because, you know, not all creepy crawlies are out to get you, right, Al? Oh, no, lots of beneficial insects out there. That's right. So what's the website we can direct people to, Ellen? Come to the Natural History Museum of Utah's website, nhmu.utah.edu, for more information about the City Nature Challenge. We'll put a link in the show notes. Thanks so much, Ellen. Have a great uh, City Nature Challenge this year. Thanks, guys. All right. Coming up, we've got the Urban Farm Report with Aldine's Trick 9 and Mary Beth Janerick talking about all the cool planting tips for tomatoes and veggie starts. And it's going to get really nerdy and it's the information you need. I've got like, I don't know, 12 tomato plants coming that I got to get really? in the ground. Yeah, That's yeah. a pretty good ball. How many do you have? About 20. <laughs> well, <laughs> How I'll, many I'll plant 27, but okay. I planted about 144 <laughs> possibilities. Oh, you got some starts that you need to give away. Well, before we get there, we're going to go back to our fresh and homegrown music and our featured artist tonight, Bly Wallenstein. Hey, Bly. Hey. So we shared earlier a collage from the album Botanica by your project Gardener. You have your fingers in so many musical pies. Studio Studio Dada Dada is your production house and your recording yeah. studio. And you've got something new coming up. So Dizzy yeah, true. So unreleased stuff really. And uh, Dizzy Giant is the name of the record. And it, mm -hmm. this is this is under your moniker though, Bly Wallentine, correct? That's right. Yeah. And so a little yeah. bit about tell tell us about how this one came together. Yeah. So uh, I made most of this this past winter um, after getting COVID and just like feeling like uh, garbage for a couple of weeks. I, it kicked me into gear. Um, yeah. This record is like uh, a pretty like intense, very like trippy, mind bending, you know, kind of like a journey through um an experience i've had over the past few years um healing and finding my way through like finding my way through like a lot of difficult feelings towards grace and forgiveness and letting go and moving forward um and that's kind of what this record is it's like a documentation of that journey um yeah i'm really excited to share it Safe Smallness. This is Bly Wallentine, fresh and homegrown on KRCL 90.9 FM.
Support for KRCL comes from Go Biochar, a climate beneficial soil additive that can reduce water consumption for lawns and gardens. Orders and information at gobiochar.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. It is Punk Rock Farmer Friday. Aldine Strict 9 in the studio. And coming up at 7 o'clock, we've got Democracy Now!, followed by Circus Brown, not a sideshow. And Keith and Nate with Friday Night Fallout. You can find all of our programming lineup online at krcl.org. But it's now time for the Urban Farm Report, Aldine. Recently, we spoke with Mary Beth and we did an article for Slug Magazine. And she filled us in on tips to grow tomatoes. Here's Mary Beth Janerick from Wasatch Community Gardens. When I talk to folks about choosing their starts, I always suggest that they consider varieties first. So... Um, what do they want to be able to do with their, with their food? So for example, if you're looking for, um, cucumbers decide, you know, do you just want these for fresh eating or do you want pickling cucumbers? Um, if you are looking for tomatoes, do you want cherries? Do you want to make, you know, for just like popping into your mouth? Do you want sauce or paste tomatoes for maybe canning or making spaghetti sauce? Um, or like a thick, chunky salsa, or do you want, you know, tomatoes for a BLT or a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich? So have those varieties in your mind, but also remain flexible because um, when you go to a nursery or when you're shopping at a sale like Wasatch Community Gardens plant sale, you might have your mindset, okay, I definitely need San Marzano Ridorta tomato. Um, but you get there and what they have is San Marzano Lungo and San Marzano, <laughs> and they don't have San Marzano Redorta. So, you know, we have the advantage nowadays of having our cell phones. We can all stand there and Google and, and learn about what these different varieties offer. You know, what are their days to maturity? What is their disease resistance? Um, what is their size? All San Marzano tomatoes are not the same size. Um, these like sub varieties. So, have that flexibility um, in mind. And also, you know, you might get somewhere and say the be all and end all is yellow pear. Of course, I would never say that because I think yellow pear is disgusting. But if you really like yellow pear um, and you get to a particular location and they just don't look healthy, then either be prepared to go to a different location for that variety or, um, choose a different variety, you know, get a blonde option or a sun gold or something else that will fill that category for you of tomato, but don't bring home a plant that looks unhealthy. So if and what is an unhealthy tops, or what does a healthy plant look like a healthy start? So a healthy start is going to be short and stocky. Um, it's uh, unless it's a variety of tomato that 
has the wispy gene, in which case the leaves can be really, really wispy. So a lot of ox hearts are wispy. Um, you know, things like Brad's atomic grape um, tend to have very wispy leaves, but it should be uh, a rich green color. Um, it should not have brown spots. It shouldn't have yellow dead leaves on it. I mean, it's sort of like uh, I talk about, you know, bringing home a puppy from the pound. You don't want to bring home the puppy that has like parvo or a cough or, you know, and have to nurse it back to health. Tomatoes um, exhibit stress responses. And we don't really think about tomatoes that way, but they're biological beings and they actually don't like stress. People all the time I hear saying, oh, you know, you can knock around your tomatoes and treat them really aggressively and let them dry out and then water them and let them be cold and then warm up and they bounce back. Well, actually they don't. And um, this is the topic of a recent webinar that we offered at Wasatch Community Gardens called Growing Great Tomatoes, Cultivating for Health and Productivity. Um, tomatoes do exhibit stress responses in regard to temperature, whether it's too high or too low. Um, soil temperature included, not just the ambient air temperature. And so, you know, you don't want to bring home a plant that has begun its life in a stressed condition. So just try to choose something that that looks green and um, intact and uh, doesn't look sickly, really. So and obviously waiting till after the last frost, that sort of thing is big. Um, what about so you said soil temperature a minute ago? What's what's the common best soil temperature that, that you should take before you start to plant your things outdoors. And how do you take it? Cause I got a temperature gauge for my forehead given COVID, but how do you find the soil temperature? Well, what I suggest to people is that rather than everybody going out and getting a soil thermometer, which measures um, temperature in the range that you would expect soil to be. So forties to, you know, nineties, um, not like a candy thermometer that's going to go up to whatever you cook candy at. <laughs> um, hopefully our soil's never that hot. I think that's called molten lava or something, but, um, is you can substitute the air temperature over a period of time. So if you think about it in the middle of winter, the air temperature is really cold and consequently the soil is also really cold. But if you wait long enough in the spring until those daily temperatures are consistently high enough, the soil temperature will come along with it. It lags behind, but it follows the air temperature. So for example, in the middle of July, our soil temperature is often like 88 degrees. So what I recommend to people is to look at the 10 day forecast, starting in probably first, second week of May, look at that 10 day forecast. So I like NOAA, uh, NOAA.gov and wait until the nighttime lows over a 10 day period are over 55 degrees. And by that point, you can pretty well guarantee that your soil temperature is going to be uh, at a sufficient level that the roots won't get shocked in your plants. The other tip is a lot of people talk about burying tomatoes really deeply into the ground. Well, the soil temperature right near the soil surface is going to be maybe 55, 58 degrees. But if you dig a one foot hole and stick your tomato down into the bottom of that hole, the root ball, the temperature down there is not going to be 55 degrees and it will shock your plant. Mm. So there's a technique called trench planting where you can actually dig sort of a, a trench, a shallow, um, trench. Or a, a shallow trench and lay your plant down in the shallow trench, gently bending the stem, the top leaves upward, not to snap the the main stem, but just gently uh, pointing it upward and then bury it with the root ball only a couple of inches underneath the soil surface. And that way, you know that your root ball is happy. I mean, so tomato plants uh, and other crops as well, like eggplants and peppers, they, they really like to be about the same temperature that we're comfortable at. So 55 to 85. And just like um, 
people, your tomato plants will exhibit a stress response if they're too cold. I mean, if we're too cold, we go and put on a puffy or we go and stand in front of the heater or we build a fire or do whatever we need to do to warm up. If we are too hot, we go stand in the shade, we go stand under the swamp cooler or in front of the air conditioner. Um, tomatoes can't move around, so they rely on us to do that temperature management for them. So not planting them too soon. And then uh, in the summer, when it goes over 85 degrees, the stress response is dropping their blossoms. So the pollen in the flowers become sterile, the, the blossoms fall off, um, and then you don't get fruit set during that period of time. And what happens if you plant them too soon and the soil temperature is too cold is um, the plants will experience stunting. They'll be like, oh my gosh, this gardener put me in the ground too soon. It's too cold. I'm not going to make fruit this year. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm facing imminent death because I'm a tropical plant and it's 43 degrees outside. And this is not my idea of a good time. So your plant, um, it may come around and produce some fruit, but every plant has the capability of producing a pretty good amount of fruit. And so as gardeners, I think, you know, we want to try to do our best to make that plant produce the most that it's capable of. Um, it's, there's this term called biological yield potential, but, but basically what it means is um, giving your plant the best shot that you can at living its best life and giving you the most fruit. So you don't want a stunted plant that's going to give you, eh, you know, average to sub average productivity and you get like some fruit off it. You know, if you're looking forward to canning a bunch of tomatoes, man, you want those San Marzano's pumping out all season. So there are tips and tricks. And one, one of the main tips is not to plant too soon. And it's so hard to do, right? Because we've been locked up for a year. And locked well, up we've, all had winter. It, we've had it snow in June in the last year or two, too. So well, it, we have you know, finding that Goldilocks spot for when to put the tomatoes in particular in the ground. It's, it's, exactly. It's, and, <clears throat> and you may need to pot them up. You know, if, if it's, if the 10 day looks really bad and it's a really cold, wet, rainy spring, uh, the last two years, I haven't planted until June 3rd ish, June 6th. Some of my plants went in last year, but I did pot them up, um, you know, and I fed them. I, I was like, what does this tomato need from me? You know, if it were a little baby, what would it be saying? Feed me, keep me comfortable. And so you try to get inside the mind of your plant. Um, That's why you talk to them. I know. <laughs> so, so being in Utah, is there a date? Is there a date that we can safely plant at? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then it goes really no. hot, really fast. And and I think, you know, there's that average last frost rate that you can find by going to climate.usu.edu. So at USU, uh, there's that website that you can go to, type in your zip code or look by your city to get your average last frost date. But I think that what we're seeing with climate change is a lot more variability. So instead of, you know, it's always been, you know, these two weeks and the average is in the middle now the range is a lot more variable and unpredictable. So that's why an important tool I think to have in your toolbox is some sort of season extender, some sort of protection. It's like that blanket to wrap your baby in. So there are frost blankets or frost cloths, um, hot calves, walls of water. Um, you know, we can only do the best that we can do. So if you know, you've done all your best and you waited until June 3rd and then on June 9th, it got down to 39 degrees like it did last year. <laughs> I at least know that I did my best and I went out and I, I covered them uh, with, you know, my frost cloth. I think over my peppers, I actually put hoops up and I put plastic over the hoops. I was doing my best. Um, and that's all we can expect of ourselves as gardeners. I mean, most of us have other jobs and other responsibilities. So you just try to try to do your best, but having the knowledge and having these tools in your toolbox at least makes us prepared. 
You know, I get antsy and I see people planting seeds and I see people starting tomatoes and I know better. And I sit and I think about it for a second. I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to chill. (laughs) Some other practical tips I was hoping you could help us with when it gets to time to put those starts in the ground that you've got solid, nice, healthy looking green starts to put in the ground. Um, How deep do you plant them relative to the root base? the stalk mm-hmm. and the leaves um, and then tamping down, et cetera. Some of those practical things that I think a lot of people who are new to it are like, how do I not hurt this? Tomatoes have something called adventitious roots. So they have little hairs going up and down the, the stem and each of those hairs can become a root. And it's sort of like, um, instead of this little root ball that is in the pot, you can have a much bigger root ball that acts not only as support for the plant. um, It's like having a bigger foundation. Uh, You know, if you stick a pole in the ground and there's, there's no foundation, the pole can fall over. But if you sink it into like a big concrete base, the pole will stand up better. So it's the same with a massive root system on your tomato plant, but it also enables the plant to drink more water and access more nutrients. Um, so you do want that, um, take advantage of the fact that the tomato has this like magical power to make more roots. Al, do you have a question? No, just tomatoes, tomatoes and tomatillos. You said tomatillos and, and those in general, the, the only ones that that works with, um, you know, I've heard people planting peppers a little bit more deeply. I, I actually don't know the science mm-hmm. on that. I don't see what any I hairs do on my, the. I don't see any hairs um, on the stems on those. Uh, but but what I do do with peppers is top pruning, and that happens a little bit later into the growing season. Um, I pinch out the tops or cut off the tops of my peppers to make them more bushy, and I find that I get a lot more fruit that way. When's a good um, time to do that? When they have like three sets of true leaves. Um. Uh, at least three sets of true leaves. Uh, And then you'll see all those little side shoots um, forming and then eventually turning into, you know, this big bushy pepper plant. Oh man, Mary Beth Janerick, Wasatch Community Gardens, always a wealth of information. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, Al, for all those videos she's talking about. There's so much information that they've been putting out. As a result of COVID switching to all that virtual stuff, it's just, you know, it's just a treat. I'm, you go to all that kind of stuff and, and check it out. Definitely. Uh, Wasatch Community Gardens, I will say it again. Boy, oh boy, what, what another wealth of information in our community. Thanks so much. We'll put a link to the organization as well as the slug article as well. And Aldine, that's our show. Thanks for being here every week and uh, having some fun in the agri-hood together. Sure has been fun. We uh, want to wrap with one more song from our featured artist tonight, Bly Wallentine. They live down in Provo, and of course, they have Studio Studio Dada Dada. Um, this music that you've been sharing with us, these these last two songs, is from a project that hasn't come out yet. In fact, not going to be released until September, I understand. So thank you so much for the sneak peek. Yeah, thanks for listening to it. I can't wait to show it to everyone. Just tell us a bit about the last year. I mean, you said you had covid um, and right. dealing with that, I think that's reflected in the song you shared, Safe Smallness. And this that's one, true. Dizzy Giant, The Egg Cracked Open, is it kind of oh, inspired yeah. by the experience too? Yeah, none of these really have to do with COVID. These are more about uh, uh, another personal experience and just like g- general psychological development over the past few years. But uh, um, yeah, Dizzy Giant, this one's about, yeah, it's kind of about my movement through um yeah, I think movement towards grace, learning to um, kind of flow through the world and allow things to move around me and within me. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can hold on to pain and suffering and, and we get caught up in it. And this is kind of my evolution, learning learning to, to grow through that, that pain. Well, as we're all coming out of COVID, whether or not your yeah. album is about that. I think yeah. there's something there for folks oh, who have been yeah. cooped up for for a year. And I'm just curious, are you going to be playing out anytime soon? Or uh, Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I, I, I haven't really thought about playing shows yet, but I probably should. Uh, it seems fun. It's cathartic, right, Al? 
Very, very much so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so where can people pick up this album when it's ready for release? Yeah, so once it's ready, it'll be available on blywallentine.bandcamp.com, as well as like all this classic streaming services, Spotify and whatnot. So, yeah, you can also go to blywallentine.fun to find all my records. Great. We'll be sure to put uh, all those links in the show notes so folks can catch up with you. This is Bly Wallington with Dizzy Giant, the egg cracked open. Really fresh and homegrown, right? (laughs) (laughs) Really fresh and homegrown on KRCL 90.9 FM. (laughs) 